All right, good morning, everybody. Go over a few things here, some upcoming events. Uh, Potluck is next uh, Sunday, I believe, right? Or no? Yeah, next Sunday, okay. Um, Spaghetti and, yeah. So bring something that goes along with kind of spaghetti, which is kind of a meal in and of itself, so you really don't need to bring much. Salad would be good. And then um, men's retreat coming up. Um, there's a really good teacher. He's the second teacher. Uh, the other two are okay, but anyway, that's going to be out here at Mazingo. Um, we're doing a kind of a joint church thing. It'll be fun. Um, and there's golf and things like that if you guys want to sign up for that. So um, we'll have more. I know it's kind of hard for you guys, you older guys, to do with your phones trying to scan the QR code, but we'll have something out there. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 Well, Mike, I'm not looking at anybody specifically. But uh, (laughs) we'll have something on paper out there for you to take, and uh, you can sign up for that. We've got a ways to go before that happens. That's uh, June, so we're just giving you a heads up that that's coming up here. Um, Anyway, I think that's it, just those two. All right, we'll be in Psalm 115, uh, 16, and 17. 17 is a huge one, 117. It's like two verses, so let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the singing, the worship time we've had with you. And we want to continue that attitude of worship in the hearing of your word, receiving it with gladness. As we see these two psalmists write about victories in their life, things you've done for them um, and and, and who you are to them. And uh, we pray the same uh, for ourselves, that we'd be able to write songs like that in our own hearts, um, the things you've done for us, the, the relationship we have with you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that's probably my favorite part of going through these psalms is they're not wrong, you know. Of course, they're not wrong. They're God's word, but they're just men and that have just had an experience with the Lord, and they're writing about it, you know. And uh, and it's wonderful. And we all have those moments with God. We might not publish. <laughs> But we certainly have those things that we can talk about and, uh, and share with other people or just thank God for in our own prayer time and our own time alone with him. And that's what these psalmists do, and it's beautiful. Psalm 115 speaks of idols. Um, and as someone who worships a true and living God, it's difficult for them, once you've experienced that, to understand why anybody would want to worship something that's an inanimate object. Um, it, it may look like a person or an animal or something that you've created, but it, and although you've formed ears on it and made eyes on it and, and, and it has a mouth, none of those things function. It's not, it's not real. Um, now, as he writes about these things, as he writes about an idol, it, it, it isn't hard for a Christian or someone who wants to be a believer, I don't know what the right word is for you, but not quite born again, to have God, the God of the Bible, as an idol in their life. In, in this sense, he doesn't speak, he doesn't see, he doesn't hear. He's someone that is carried around with them. It's not a relationship. It's not a true and living relationship with God. Um, and I think that's been one of the uh, most important missions, I think, I've felt in my life here in the Midwest is to help people understand the difference or at least bring it to their attention that there's a difference between attending 
and sitting and having a really good historical context of Jesus, but never knowing him. In other words, they know Jesus like they know Abraham Lincoln. They got all the facts, the figures, the quotes. They understand a little bit of his character based on historical reference, but they don't talk to him daily or have a conversation with or have that heart for him. And that's news to a lot of people. Oftentimes, there's more than just knowing about him and reading about him and study. Yes, he's a person that he's the only God that makes his dwelling place in you and has a relationship with you. And it's ongoing. Um, He's alive. He's not someone we study. We don't want to be history buffs about Jesus. Um, We want to have that relationship with him. And so that's what these psalmists are writing is they, they don't understand the difference, um, or what, not the difference. They don't understand why people don't know the difference, and so they try to explain it. Verse 1, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? Now, uh, as we go through this, you'll understand he's not saying, um, uh, like some of the other psalmists have said, God, would you show up so that people know that you're real? That's not what he's saying. He's saying the Gentiles can point to their gods. They can bring them out of the closet and set them on the table for you to see and touch and feel and all that. With you, it's different is what he's saying. The Gentiles ask, where's your God? And he's going to try to describe that. He's in heaven. He's a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He's not something you can create, mold, form, carry with you, put away, bring out. He is, he's everywhere all the time. And, and so he's going to try to explain that here as he goes through that. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they cannot hear or they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Uh, Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. There's two ways to look at that. One is the God that you formed in your life is like you, looks a lot like you. And that was the case. If I had a certain flavor or bent or a hobby of mine that I thought was very important, I could make my God into that, and that is my God. And to bring it value, I'll make it of gold instead of wood or stone. Those are cheap gods over there. My God's extra special. He's got gold, so he's more valuable, and the, valuable, you know, the, the value is placed upon the material used and so on. And so in, in one sense, the God is a lot like the person who formed it, which is true. It's also the other way around. The person who worships this idol is a lot like their idol. They have eyes and they can't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have a mouth, but they don't speak. They don't share. They don't talk about the true and living God. They don't see the true and living God. They don't hear the true and living God. I had a wonderful little conversation with one of my kids. I won't point them out because they get tired of being used in sermons a lot of times. But it's at nighttime that you have those neat conversations with people and um, explaining to one of them the difference in how, not the, because I had studied this and this is kind of fresh on my mind, but that the same way I feel about your mom 
the warm feeling that you have towards mom, that, that love you have towards mom, I have towards Jesus. I have that. And it's not an eye-opener, but it is in the sense that every human being that, has, that says they're a Christian or is born again should have that feeling towards God, should have that feeling towards Jesus. Otherwise, you have to ask yourself, Am I, have, do I have a historical understanding of this Jesus? And I worship him because that's what Americans do, you know, has it become Christian nationalism to me? Or, 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 or do I have feelings for Jesus because of what he's done for me, because of how he feels towards me, like I do for anybody else that I love in this world? And more so, obviously. There's a difference. And the psalmist is saying those that have these idols, and this is what holds you back, is they become like these idols. They don't have eyes to see the spiritual things or ears to hear the spiritual things or noses to have discernment and sense something, you know, or a throat that even opens up praises to God because they just, they don't. And that's why I think in the Old Testament, the first thing God does to the nation of Israel, when he wants to bring them back to him, what's the first thing he does? You've got to remove your idols. You have to get rid of your idols. A couple cross-references in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 through 4. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. No other gods. That's the first thing. In order to have a true relationship with God, all the other idols have to be removed from your life. There can be no competition. You're, you're arresting your development by having these other things in our lives that cause us to be distracted from tr- worshiping the true and living God. The first thing he does, let's get rid of these idols. In 1 Kings chapter 15, 12, and he banished the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. Sometimes you brought them with you out of your family as you grew up. You didn't realize they were idols, but there they are, you know. And you brought those idols, those things, whatever they may be. I'm not even going to name them. There's too many to name. And you brought those into your new family, into your marriage. You're raising your kids under the same uh, non-functioning eyes of this idol. And God says, those things have to go. And some of those things feel like traditions to us. They feel like uh, I'm, I'm betraying my heritage if I get rid of those things. No, no, you're not. You're, you're, you're actually falling in love with a person who has described in this beautiful book that he's given us everything that he loves, everything that he hates. And you're beginning to understand who he is. And the, and the same passion I had for uh, when I first met Jenny, my wife, you know, who is this, you know, kind of thing. And I want to know more about her and I want to know what she likes and what she doesn't like. And, and, uh, and whether you know it or not, guys, you conform yourself into the image that they want. You know, it's like, well, what's going to make her like me more? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> There's a lot of things that need to go. <laughs> things that I'm used to doing around my buddies, but she's not going to appreciate those things. And so you, you begin to learn and you begin, because you love. And that's how it is with Jesus. You begin to fall in love with this beautiful God. Such an amazing person that you've met. He's so perfect. He's so true. He's so honest. He loves me as a friend and treats me like a son or a daughter, you know. 
And who is this? And, and you know, you've heard, it's a, it's a common mom and dad phrase, you know, bad company corrupts good habits or whatever. But it goes the other way around too. Good company corrupts bad habits. And the more time I spend with Jesus, the more time I spend around this beautiful person who's, I mean, everything I want to be, but I'm not, I become more like him. I become conformed into his image. I begin to look like this beautiful person that I've fallen in love with, you know? And so you sing songs to him, you know? Think of them as serenades, almost. I didn't like that song. Well, it wasn't for you. It's for him. <laughs> I, I don't know about this place. Well, we're not here to worship you. We're here to worship him, you know? I'm not trying to be offensive on purpose. It's just to change that mindset of uh, when we come together to worship God, we're, we're here to worship him. He's, he's the star. He's in the in the spotlight. He's the one we're here for, you know? You're all I want. You're all I need. The song we sang. And so the writer here is just comparing, how can, how can this satisfy? It doesn't do anything. Don't you get tired of picking up your idol when he falls off the mantle? You know? Don't you want someone who can do that for you instead? Because he's out there, and the comparison is it's not even close. Second Chronicles, final one, uh, verse 8 of chapter 15. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecies of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. I only finish up with that, not to just put another one in the books as far as uh, confirming what we're trying to learn this morning, but there's some action that's involved in our lives, things that need to happen. God will bring things out even during this teaching by his Holy Spirit. You wonder, I wonder why that came to my mind when you said idols. You know, the reason that came to your mind is because the true and living God brought that to your mind more than likely. The Holy Spirit is very present. He's in our lives. He convicts us of sin, righteousness of judgment. He shows us where he wants to change us and bring us and what he wants to do. And he does it slowly, but surely he's a good teacher. He knows what he's doing. He knows what has to happen next. And he does that. And so Asa heard the words of the prophecy. And we're here studying God's word. And action took place in his life. He did what he needed to do. I got rid of all of those idols. Anything that distracts me from the true and living God. Now, he doesn't want us to, you understand what I'm saying. Um, we don't isolate ourselves and stop all contact with Hy-Vee and Walmart and friends and family because those are distractions from God. No, those are ministry opportunities. Those are basic living things that we need to do. You know the idols. God has shown you the idols that are taking away from your time with God as opposed to uh, and, and it, taking a time from that enrichment that comes from being with God. Those are the things he's talking about. They need to go so that the altar can be rebuilt, so it can be used, so that that can be the focus of your life. That's the center of your heart. The, I, the, the worship of God is, is all that's there. I, I am the temple of the living God, and the Holy Spirit dwells in me, and that is where worship takes place. And I don't have any other gods in this temple. That's all. That's what he's saying. Verse 9. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. 
He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Three different groups, but he's just meaning everybody. Israel, house of Aaron, um, um, all, you know, anybody that fears the Lord. And, and we've, that comes up a lot in Psalms and in Proverbs and all these things about fearing the Lord. And when you understand who God is, he, he's no longer manageable. And, and that is a fearful thing for those that are used to worshiping idols that are very manageable. Idols are easily manipulated and easily changed and easily tossed out and easily replaced. But if you do have a true and living God that's created everything in this creation and you dwell in it, you're in his creation, you don't have a whole lot of choices and options out there. It's a fearful thing to know, although he's given us a free will, we can be disobedient, we can do our own wills in his creation if we feel like it. He allows that. That's what sin is. That's what we see every day in our lives, and it affects our lives from other people. We are in his creation. And that's a... when. When you contemplate that, when you meditate on those things, it's, it is a fearful thing. It, it shows how big and how all-powerful and how he doesn't have to, along with the fear of, of that, there's, a, there's an understanding of how much he loves with that. Um, this, this is, none of this is necessary. I'm not necessary. He was fine before... I was created. He was fine before any of us were created. He doesn't have a, a need that he needed to fulfill by making us. He just did. And that's a, that's a fearful thing to know, that God loves us that much. And what is my response to that love? You know, um, Have conversations with atheists. Have conversations with those doubting God and wondering this, that, or the other thing. Is Christianity this and, and all? And um, it's, it's not hard to minister to people when you just let them think about what they're saying. It isn't. You don't even have to convince them that what they're saying is wrong because it, because it isn't right. When thought out to its logical conclusion, they discover that it's wrong. It's not hard. Um, I don't have to be uh, louder. I don't have to have more words than they do. We can just talk about whatever they want to talk about. So, so there is no Jesus. Okay. Um, so there is no God. Okay. Let's Let's talk about that. And what are the implications of all that? And what does that mean for you? And what does that mean for our existence? And what is that? And you just let them. And all of a sudden, there's a hopelessness that falls upon people until they realize there has to be. It doesn't make sense any other way. Um, and they come to that conclusion on their own. And, be God, and God begins to work there and begins to say, I am here. I, I, and here's what the real issue is. You don't like me being in charge. You don't like me saying what, what you're doing is wrong and, and, and hurting other people, even though you say it's not, and it's only hurting yourself, and so leave me alone. Let, live and let live. And that's not the way it is. This is what's happening behind the scenes. And people discover the Lord, and they begin to, well, they begin to have their eyes opened and their ears opened, and it's not hard. Their idols begin to look foolish, really foolish. I can't believe that I spend so much time with this. When all this does for me is brings this into my life, which is so short and so fleeting and so small, am I preparing myself for forever? Or am I only taking care of my immediate fleshly needs for today? You know, 
And so the writer here is just, they can't see. They can't do these things. Trust in him, Aaron, you priests. Trust in him, you nation of Israel. Trust in you or in him, all that you who fear the Lord. Verse 12, the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel, bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. Same three groups, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. It's generational. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down in si- into silence. But we, we will bless the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Praise the Lord. The, my kids, the next generation is blessed when I'm obedient to God. They just are. You know, Our Sunday school ministry here, I think about that. And, and they don't know. The kids just show up. Mom and dad bring them. And, but they don't have any idea the blessing that they're, they're given. Um, if it wasn't for a bunch of obedient adults who love the Lord, that thing that they love back there, that children's ministry that they don't want to leave, they don't want to go away from, they cry when they go out the doors of church. What in the world? You know? That's because there's some obedient adults that love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and have decided to serve God, and the kids are blessed by that. There's a generational blessing that goes along with this. Now, they may not continue with the Lord. There's, there's no guarantee of that. Um, but they are being blessed, and they'll have no excuse, you know. Uh, they won't be able to look back at, at this fellowship anyway. They'd say, I hated that place, you know. I was never loved there. It was always mean people and, and harsh. And No, no, no. No, these people love the Lord, and they love you. And so it's generational, and they're, and, they're, and they're blessed because of it. So the writer here just says, but you praise the Lord. He's just so excited about what God has done in his life. And Now the next one, Psalm 116. This is just a person, a man who was close to death and got healed. And a lot of you know what this is like and have been through these experiences. And uh, he just wants to praise God for it. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. It it was very important for him to know that God heard him pray for healing. And the fact that he got healed and God heard him was more than just the healing. It was some, I'm going to call upon the Lord all the time because I know I'm not yelling into thin air, into empty space. There's an ear that receives the sound waves of my mouth and my throat. And that's a blessing to know that he's real and alive. That's important. The pains of death surrounded me and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Now, this might be a stretch, but I do find it interesting that, or at least profound for me, that this person desperately wants to live. I remember Paul saying, you know, for me to die is gain. 
but it is more needful for me to stay and to be with you. And you could see the struggle that Paul had. He had a hard life. He was pretty beat up. I bet he ached and groaned and creaked when he woke up more than you all, you know. And so there were days where like, you know, it'd be fine if I went home to be with the Lord today. And I think that's fine. I understand that. But he was always willing to leave it in God's hands. He was never interested in um, unaliving himself, you know. This person in Psalm 116 no matter how much pain they were in, no matter how much difficulty they were going through, they wanted God to heal them. They reached out to the Lord for life. And I do put an emphasis upon that, probably more so than I should, that this is just a temporary life and that you know, pretty soon we're going to be with the Lord and, and, and what's done here isn't lasting and all that. It's not real. The eternity is real. And that's all true. But there is to be in a love and an appreciation for life for us. And not wishing to be done with it. Not hoping that it's, I'm gone someday, you know. And this comes up because more than likely in a group this big, there are those thoughts in some people. And I'm not going to look at anybody specifically because I don't know. But when these things come up in in the text and we're here studying it on Sunday morning, it's because the Holy Spirit, by his word, wants to minister to you this morning. He wants you alive. He wants you to continue. He wants better things for you. He wants to touch you. He wants to come into your life. He wants to help you. He wants to heal you of whatever it is. He wants to bring you close to him. The psalmist is very happy that he cried out to God and God healed him. There's an appreciation for life. Verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death. My eyes from tears and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore I spoke. I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. I don't know what that story is. It's almost like a little confession he's giving up to God. I know in in my darkest hour, in my darkest despair, I felt betrayed by everybody around me. And that was spoken in haste. Because not everybody That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Everyone? Yes, everyone in my life. Maybe think a little harder. Maybe pray a little bit more and see if God can bring anybody into your life or to your remembrance that is for you, not against you. And he kind of fesses that. He says, God, I've got no one to go to but you. I don't trust anybody. They've all, you touch me, you change me. And he did. And then he confesses there in verse 11. "I, I said in haste that all men are liars. I didn't mean that. I think sometimes we can feel that way when we don't think people are focusing on us enough. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings this morning. But everybody's going through life. You know, I enjoy my children a lot. A lot. I love spending time with them. I love talking to them. I love sitting at the table and trying to keep my mouth shut, which is hard for me. But just sitting and and watching them all converse with each other and their relationship with each other and how they banter. I love when they go back and forth and they're giving each other a hard time and playfully and and all. I I just sit back and watch that. And it's fun for me. I enjoy them. And it's it's at those moments I realize, and we've talked about this, they're not characters in my life. I'm a character in their life, you know? Um, and And after that joy... 
I start thinking about what's ahead for them. And I don't want to tell them, and none of you adults tell them what's ahead for them. But the battles that I've had to fight in my own heart and in my own mind, everybody in this room has those battles. Everybody. I'm not talking about just sin. I'm just talking about getting through life. You know, uh, uh, keeping yourself sane, keeping yourself with the Lord. I know he's got us, but you know what I'm talking about. Staying true, keeping your mind right, you know, uh, avoiding this, that, or the other thing. And, and the battles we have all the time. And I look at these, these young kids in my life that are growing up and they're getting married and they're having children. I'm going, oh, I don't, I don't want to take that away from you. I don't wish it away from you. I just pray for you. Because I know I've been through it. I've been through six. I'm going through two still. I'm going to lose a fourth gaining a son-in-law. Carlos and I were just talking about that. So excited about that. But it's it's hard to watch. We were just talking about their apartment hunting. You know, they're looking for apartments now and and stuff for when they get married and how they're going to... And Carlos said, that brings back memories, you know, back in the day, right? Remember their first time you were looking and all that. Oh, boy. And then you start thinking, oh, then what comes next? And then that, oh, dear God. And you're on your knees already in your heart. Help them, you know, help them win these wars and these battles, you know, and pray for them. Um, I don't even know why I got off on that. <laughs> just praying for them, I guess. I'll just leave it at that. I, don't, I, can't even, I can't even find the breadcrumbs to get back to the trail. So, anyway, verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? How can I pay him back? You know, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now, now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord in the, is in the death of his saints. He, he, it, what he means by that is, and we'll go backwards through those two verses, is the, he, he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the saints. It's precious to him. There's a loss. There's a, to him, whether you know it or not, your life is very important here on earth. It's very important here on earth for him. And to lose a life, he feels great loss. And you wonder, why? I mean, don't you know that we're translated from here into heaven instantly? To close my eyes here is to open my eyes there? Sure, he knows all of that. I mean, he's the author of all that. And yet, it's precious when there's a death. He pays attention to that. It's not like grass dying in a field. Mm. People are nothing more than a blade of grass to me. That's not how God sees us. Just like any parent who has to struggle with and deal with the death of a child, and I, and I, I can't imagine, and how precious and the loss and the distance and as much comfort as you try to bring that parent in, well, you know they're in a better place and you know that they're seeing the Lord right now and all that. Still, that doesn't change the feeling I have towards that loss. And here's why, because you're feeling the heart of your father. I would not want to explain that away from anybody or take that grief away from anybody. That grief you're feeling, you are sharing in the sufferings of our Father when that takes place. Oh, and of course you should feel that way. Of course we celebrate their belief in Jesus and their salvation and they're there in heaven. But there's, 
there is this. This is not precious in this. Why did Jesus weep at the death of Lazarus? I mean, didn't he know he's about to bring him back from the dead? What was the point of the crying? He's showing it. This is normal. Death was never supposed to be a part of this. This was added to creation by us. And so there's grief and there's sorrow and there's sadness. Now, he talks about paying vows. And of course, everybody knows what the go-to verse is for that. If you're a believer, it's better to, better to, to not vow than to not pay. And, and you don't need to make any promises. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. I know all the verses, and yet I see something here. I think it's very important. He's obviously had some kind of conversation with God. And I don't know if it was the typical, if you get me out of this, I'll do this. I don't know. But whatever it is, he's going to do it. And it's not because he feels obligated or because he wants, oh boy, I probably shouldn't have prayed that, you know, and now I got to do it. It's not like that. It's in honor and respect, and he heard my voice, and I know he heard my voice, and part of my voice was, I want to live for you the rest of my life. I'm going to pay my vow. I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do, because you made yourself real, and I know you're real, and I can't deny that anymore. I'm living for you. I I think that's perfectly beautiful that he wants to keep his vow now. I'm publicly, I'm going to keep my vow to the Lord. That's good. I wish every person that we ever baptized would have that conviction in their heart as they're walking out of the water. I'm going to repay. I know I can't repay. I know there's no way I can, but I'm going to live my life in, a, in, a, in an attitude of service to God, in an attitude of, of gratefulness to what he's done for me. And because of that person's attitude about the salvation they've received, and they place so much value on it, they understand the cost and the, and, and, and the benefit that they've received from it, they're going to live a better life because they're living a life of service and gratitude to God. It's going to be the best life they could have ever chosen. They're not going to deny or miss out on anything. You see, I'm going to pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I'm going to do this. Verse 16. Oh Lord, truly, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. Mom was a believer. You know? It's like he sees that now. My mom told me all about it. That's why I know all this stuff. That's how I knew to pray. Parents, teach them how to pray. They may walk away from the Lord. I don't know. You know, I'll train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. Some do. I don't know how to reconcile those things sometimes. <laughs> But when they get to a place where they don't have any place else to go or anything else that they can reach for for salvation, they will remember the maidservant of the Lord in their life, you mothers. And they will remember that you taught them how to pray. And they will cry out with the habit that they've learned for you, but it won't be a habit. It'll be an actual cry. And God will hear. And their relationship with the true and living God may start right there. They may become born again right there. It's not wasted time to train up your child in the way they should go. It's not. And it isn't a failure if they do walk away. It's, that's on them. But you've given them an avenue back, and that is so important to teach kids how to get back to God. 
Not, yes, you want to teach them the historical understanding of Jesus and what he's done in the cross and Easter and Christmas and why we celebrate and go through Bible studies and teach them the word of God. But the most, most important thing we can teach them is how to talk to him and how to get back to him when they're not there, when they're not with him. He notices that. I am the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And we'll call upon the name of the Lord. And that, that's the reward God gets from it. Thanksgiving and a conversation, a continual conversation. I will pay my vows to the Lord. Now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. I'm fulfilling my vow. Now, the world's shortest psalm. <laughs> praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Just in case you were left out, you know. It's not always about Israel. It's not always about Aaron. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. God is for everybody. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. That would have been a controversial song. Can you imagine? I mean, we read about how upsetting Gentiles were to the disciples. Really? We're supposed to go to the... Why was the Samaritan such a terrible story for them? Well, he's a mixed breed. You know, he wasn't even pure Israeli. They couldn't even handle that. Let alone, you know, the actual Gentiles getting saved. You know, even the church had a hard time with that in the book of Acts. And, uh, and they said, well, if the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles just like he did us, I guess they're saved. And that was, that was something they had to come to a conclusion about, you know. Imagine writing this psalm back in the day before Jesus. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Not singing that. You know, this person gets it. They understood. This is bigger than just us. We're an example for sure. We are a favored people, but only that we get to be a chosen example to the rest of the world so that they can see what God can do with the people that are fully his, folks. The unbelievers are watching us. And they want to see what this God does for us, and how he interacts with us, and is he real? And we are the, as has been said many times, oftentimes the only Bible that anybody will ever read is my relationship with Jesus. And what does that look like? Now, hopefully they read the Bible after they come to know the Lord, but you are the first contact oftentimes. And that's where we close today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these beautiful songs, and uh, we want to write our own. So as you brought to our minds the things that you've done for us recently and in the past, uh, further past, um, and we know what you're going to do for the, in the future, Lord, we, we sing you praises. We give you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for this love you have for us. Thank you for making your home in us giving us a love for you and we have a, you have a love for us and this beautiful relationship we have with you, God. I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling this morning, maybe didn't want to live and are looking for a reason. Lord, I pray that they receive that this morning, that you touch their hearts, that you'd wrap your arms around them and let them know, first of all, they're not alone. You're with them, but there are others that have a love for them, an unconditional love that comes from Christ that they know that their life is valuable to you, Lord. 
but we lift them up to you, God, as a, as a group of believers who, who none of us know the hearts of those around us. We, nobody knows the struggles that every person in this room is going through in their own hearts, but we do want to pray for each other right now. We lift them up to you, and we pray that you'd encourage them and help them, Lord, and help us to be a blessing any way that we can. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. We'd be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.